I don't know how many times I've lived with this text. It would be a lot were I to count them up. After all, I when we walked to Emmaus, when my last year in seminary, I tended to walk to Emmaus before it ever came south. I, I went to a church and slept on the floor for those two or three nights, and there in that church experienced what was called then the walk to Emmaus in Hyde Park Community United Methodist Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Myself and one of their students had been invited to go to that uh, event by our evangelism professor. He wanted us to go and said it was paid for. We'd get all the food we wanted to eat, and we wouldn't have to do a thing except go and eat and enjoy. And then when we came back, to tell him what we thought about the experience. Well, we didn't know what a walk to Emmaus was, but we knew it led to a table that was never-ending. And so we left. Yes, we did. That's what seminarians do in their third year of seminary because the, the cupboard is getting bare. By the time we got there, we were shocked to learn all that the Mary's experience had to offer. Uh, we had been prepared for the sleeping on the floor. We had not been prepared to wait about 24 hours before we got to shower. One shower, 40-something men. Yeah, it was uh, not a very pretty sight. We were not prepared for a lot of things that back in those early days were kept secret from you when you went on your walk to Emmaus. Like when we got there and we were visiting with everybody there, they said, by the way, don't tell anybody what you do. And we thought, well, we're not doing anything anyway but going to school, but whatever. And then a little bit later in the chapel that night, they said, if you have your watches, would you take them off and hold them in your hand? And we did. And they said, now, would you put them in your pocket? And I'm thinking, no, not really. That's not where my watch goes. And they said, you put it in your pocket, don't take it out again, and when you get back to your room, put it in your belongings, you won't be needing it for the rest of the weekend. And I thought, three days and nights, and I won't know what time it is? For control freaks, that's a great lesson. And so the lesson began. And that became a part of the process of my appreciation of all that I've been receiving at seminary for those three years. Of all of that I had been reading for the last seven or eight years of my life since I had started taking the scriptures seriously. And as I thought about that during that weekend and in the days to come, I came back to Texas with, that, with the challenge from those there to bring the walk to Emmaus back to Dallas, Texas. And I thought, are you kidding? I'll never get those Texans to a walk to Emmaus. But I came here and the hard work had already started. So I was able to join in. And in the years to follow, I led, I don't know, how many walks to Emmaus, participated as one of the clergy on those walks, I don't know how many times, and still see people that I see that I haven't seen since I was one of the leaders at their walk as they scattered around the church. It was a grand experience. But it was nothing like the first walk to Emmaus. It was nothing like the resurrection narrative taught by Jesus in person, not through the Holy Spirit yet, but by Jesus. As these two men were walking along, they received this part of the resurrection narrative firsthand. They received it, though they were not prepared for it, and though they struggled to understand it. Though their hearts were broken, their lives confused, and they were not sure where they were going next, they still heard the word as it was proclaimed to them in a way that they had never heard it before. Now, we ask ourselves when we think about this story, how important are stories like this? I'm going to say it clearly and slowly so you don't miss it. Without the resurrection narratives that are in the scripture, there is no church. 
Without the resurrection narratives of the scripture, there are no followers of Jesus. Without the resurrection narratives of the scripture, our calendar would be completely different. And the name of Jesus would probably mean some kind of teacher or rabbi in ancient Israel. Who would Jesus be? He would be somebody that probably was forgotten by most. And the world would still be walking in a lot of darkness without the light of Jesus having been shared. People would be walking around without the very source of the joy that is meant to be the resulting product of faith in Jesus. They would be struggling to believe in something that could be their guide for life and some kind of expression of God, but it would not be Jesus because he would never have been believed and he would never have lived on unless he had appeared after death to enough people who would never be able to doubt it in their life. And once that original kernel from these resurrection narratives were expressed and taught and caught by open hearts and minds willing to think a different way, they then were passed on from person to person to generation until generation and still till even this day today, lives are being impacted, directions changed, and purposes given by this one Jewish rabbi from an obscure town in Israel, who, by the way, just happened to arrive in Israel from the very throne of God, the one we can never see face to face. He brought God to us, and these narratives are the sources of the faith we proclaim. These narratives represent the faith of the first community of followers, the believers of Jesus. Before his resurrection and before the story was shared as he appeared to others, it was inconceivable that people would believe that Jesus was God's son. It was inconceivable that they could believe that a human of flesh could be God. It would not be apprehended by human minds that God loved us in the way that he did without this story of the resurrection. In fact, that New Testament would never have been penned. Because you see, without Jesus appearing, without the faith being blazed into the hearts of others who passed it on, who passed it on, it would have died. It would have never been really understood. And it's important that we believe that. If you think sometimes I get a little carried away when I start talking about the important things of the faith or church or Wesleyan theology, one of the bedrock things for me is what the scriptures say, what the first witnesses said, and what was shared with me as I began to grow up in the church. Because you see, I can't see Jesus, but I know they did. So I take offense when people tell me it's not real, that it's some kind of story, that you can't possibly believe in that. I do. I take offense to it. Because I believe in a lot of things I can't see. I believe it, atoms exist, but I can't see them. Have you ever seen an atom? Some of you might have in a certain kind of telescope, but most of us have not. And if we saw one, we probably wouldn't know what we were seeing. And there's stuff even smaller than that, right? Well, without Jesus, we would have an incomplete view and understanding of God. And without his resurrection, we could not have believed all the promises that he taught and made. And he would have just been some good teacher who could 
do a lot of things that others could not. He would be a mighty prophet. But instead, he's a savior of the world. Because we know and we believe that which has been passed on to us. So when somebody tries to tell me that the Bible is a book, I know several things. One, I know they're mistaken. Two, I know that the Jesus that they know is not the real deal. Three, I know whatever it is they think they know about knowledge and understanding of the scriptures is incomplete because it has not been taught to them by the resurrected Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And four, I know they've got a lot more to learn than I do because they're at square one. You say, that's pretty harsh, preacher. Nope, not harsh at all. It's just the truth. The word of God was worth dying for. This story that we call the gospel that we find it hard to tell our next door neighbor costs the lives of countless people through the following centuries. They died because it was life and it was worth dying for. As surely as it was worth giving their life for their children, they were willing to give their lives for this gospel story, God's story. This story about a God who loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Now, there's not much that people will give their life for. But these men and women were willing to give their lives, and so they did, to tell others about this story that had happened to them. But it would have never happened had the resurrection narratives not happened. And even then, it was hard. (laughs) I mean, how many times did Jesus show up in those 40 days before he ascended? A lot, right? I mean, he kept showing up to them. And this story is just one in its midst. I love the way this story comes in this chapter. Here they are walking along, two people on the way to Emmaus. And man, they're feeling low down as a snake. I mean, it just seems like their world has been broken apart. Their follower, their leader had gone. Their favorite Sunday school teacher, their favorite pastor had left. Their church had closed its doors. There was nothing to worship. They didn't know what to do. They were confused completely. And here comes this guy who didn't even know anything's happened, they think. It's a wonder. I can imagine the looks at him. What are y'all talking about, you know? You're the only one that doesn't know. Everybody else around these parts knows what happened. Jesus was crucified. Believing or not, followers or not, they knew the story. But did they really? Did they really? Jesus said no. No. You really don't get it yet. And so he began to tie it all together for them. Because you see, just the knowledge of the Jewish scriptures was not enough. Jesus had to align for their understanding what the prophets were teaching teaching in the Old Testament. He had to show them and to explain to them in such a way that they could believe that all that had come before was leading up to who he was, had been, and was fixing, about to, a good Texas word, about to reveal to them. And you can imagine they're getting the lessons, right? I mean, okay, yeah, we know about Moses, we know about all that stuff, and you know, we know the prophet said, and, but he died, dude, he died. I mean, don't you get it? But he just kept on going. He just kept on going. I'm pretty sure pretty soon they said nothing. In fact, I'm pretty sure they didn't say much at all from the time he started because I'm sure partly into that story, he became so energized with who he was 
he was sharing this story outside of the circle of the 12, he wanted to be sure that the larger community of followers knew it too. So it didn't just depend, many times you've heard me say, I think leaving the gospel, gospel story in the hands of 11 wasn't the wisest of things to do. Well, I forgot about this story because, see, he already had broadened it to two more. And he, it wasn't with the disciples. Jesus went to them and taught them the story. He explained to them so in a way they could understand it, the fullness of the scriptures. And then when they invited him into their house, he went into their house and he sat down at the table with them. And he took the bread and broke it as he often had probably in their midst. And he blessed it as he often had probably in their midst of the greater followers of Christ. And when he did that, their eyes were opened. And in the fellowship of community, the word became real. Not as an individual. But where two or three were gathered together, Jesus and these two disciples. And in the breaking of the bread, in the physicality of sharing the community experience of a meal or a core group or a Sunday school class or a group of friends or the body of Christ when they celebrate Holy Communion. In that community, their eyes were opened and they realized, oh my goodness, this is the Lord. And as soon as it's a purpose had been accomplished, he disappeared from their side. It didn't say he arose. It didn't say he excused himself. It didn't say he went out back to the restroom. It says he disappeared. Boom! And they're like, whoa! What happened? And then they go, what are our hearts burning when he was teaching us the scriptures? And then they went back in the room. They sat down. They had a big meal. And they slept through the night. And they thought the next morning they might go tell something about somebody about it because it was really strange no they got up that very hour and they went the seven mile journey back in probably the dark I'm sure to Jerusalem to tell the gathered disciples the 11 and some other women who were gathered together of what had happened to them and before they could even blurt it out he had already appeared to Simon according to the gospel writer of Luke He'd already appeared to Simon. He already appeared through the angels in a testimony at the grave. And now here he was appearing to these other two dudes, part of the larger community, not even the 12. They got the, according to Luke, they got the message before the rest of them did, other than Peter. Wow. 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 Those two guys were blessed. And they could not wait to share it. Okay, you want some resurrection joy? We all need some resurrection joy. Here's how you get a resurrection joy. You understand scripture. You receive the scripture when it's read and taught to you. You receive it as God's word. And you receive it as it comes from God. God breathed or inspired, if you will. Not coming from a group of writers who wrote the scriptures, but coming from God. And then, as you read it in the Holy Scriptures from then on, you read it always with that pathway in mind. Understanding, receiving as is truly God's word, come from God, not from your teacher, not from your preacher, not from someone else, but comes from God. That's who teaches us the word. 
First, God taught it as a father when he gave them the Ten Commandments and he began to teach Israel all he wanted them to know. And then he taught it as a son, the Word incarnate, the Word made flesh, the everlasting living Word with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places, who was before and is today. And then when Jesus went to be with the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit, God who continues to teach us today. When you open the book and read it with your head, and not as if it's coming from God, inviting the Holy Spirit into your heart, you're missing the point. And a lot of people have missed the point. I know a lot of people walking around who can quote scripture, they don't believe a word of it. I know people have got whole seminary educations, and they believe that people wrote the Bible. I believe that there are people out there who know so much scripture that they're not a bit of heavenly good for themselves or others. Because they're always doing it with human understanding. The Spirit is the teacher. The Spirit is a revealer of truth. Oh, we can read it and I can outline it like you can any other book. I was taught well by Miss Cook in English class. God rest her soul. Uh, I diagrammed more sentences than I thought existed. But I learned how to diagram and take apart a book or a writing. And I can take apart the scripture and tell you what the points are from it. I can list them one, two, three. But unless I receive them, that's more than an intellectual knowledge in my head. Unless I let them into my heart where they burn a path of transformation in my heart and in my life, then they are nothing but words and human knowledge. But as soon as I accept the fact that they come from God for me, for the changing of my life, and for my edification as a follower of Jesus, and for the power of the gospel to live inside me that I can share with somebody else, then my life will be different. You know why it's so hard to hear people talk about the Scripture and then tell me how one day they hope they can tell somebody about the Scriptures, but they just can't do it? You know, I I have an overwhelming urge. And some of you are thinking, have I ever said that to a preacher? Because when people tell me that that they know the Scriptures, but they just won't tell anybody, it's just just not their gift, my hands begin to circle, and I begin to move toward their neck. (laughs) And and I want to say, in the name of sweet Jesus... If you're not going to let the words out that he's poured into you, do you think the words are just all for you? Are you okay with the rest of the world going to hell who doesn't know because nobody's explained it to them? You know, you never know when God's going to give you a chance to speak to someone. And now I've got to make another visit today. Because you see, it happened again to me. Cindy was off and sick. She's not supposed to do that, but she did it. I don't know why she does it, but every now and then she gets sick. Well, sure as Cindy gets sick, somebody's going to call and need help at the church. And that's only my job when Cindy's not here. And if they're not really desperate, I, I tell them, wait till tomorrow, she'll return. I've done that a lot of years in a lot of churches. And I was so glad to hand it on to, to Cindy. And she's looking for somebody to pass it on to now, so y'all be careful. You know, it's, it's, it's hard work discerning people's lives and trying to help them in knowing your helping abilities and limited. But I got a call. Long story short, the next morning I went to the hospital to see the young lady whose story wasn't making much sense, but I decided I had to go. I just thought it was my turn. I said, okay, God, you know, we don't have any money at the church. I don't have any church cards. You know, this woman's story doesn't make sense. It's probably not true. But you're not going to leave me alone about it, so I'm going. So I went. About three hours later, I could get away from her finally because she had me driving all over Dallas, taking her here, taking her there, telling me stories that made no sense. A poor, wandering mind, 
God's child who probably has some mental illness, who has a lifetime that's been very confusing, and who didn't make much sense much of the time there, except this when she told me, I'm going to come to church tomorrow if I can. I've taken her to Walmart and helped her get the things she needed, taken her back to her room. And she was faithful too. She called me, texted me late yesterday evening and said, I really need to go somewhere. I need you to come see me. <laughs> I said, okay, okay. Uh, I think it's time for us to kind of break this connection now. You know, I, I've got you down the road. We're okay. It'll be all right. I went to sleep. I got up this morning. And while I was telling you the scriptures, a little burning in my heart said, you didn't really talk to her about God. I listened to her tell me a lot about God, which was not accurate. It was scriptural. It was accurate for her. But I didn't take the time to say more to her about it. So she's going to get her wish. This afternoon, I'm going to go back over there. And I don't know what I'll find. And I know it's kind of crazy. But I got to go. Because you see, a long time ago, I decided to go. I decided to go when people called, if it was at all possible. Because you see, I have come to understand in my life by then that when the scriptures are taught and understood in our minds, first of all, and then when they're taught by God, either Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, and then when they are so inspired by God and I'm willing to receive it that they become more a matter of my heart than they are of my head. And that then it is then that transformation takes place in my life and not until that pathway is walked out. I can cram a lot of stuff into my head, but if I don't let it into my heart, it's not much good to me or anyone else. And if I don't recognize that it's from God and believe it's from God, then all I have to say is really no more useful than what any other person might say to a group of people. But as long as what I say comes from the scriptures and it's willing, I am willing to share it, then it has the possibility to change somebody's life. The natural result when people's hearts the natural result when people's hearts are opened and yielded to God as a teacher of scripture is that then and only then does scripture transform our lives and compel us to share it with others. And when that whole process has not been allowed to be completed in our lives, then we're not willing to share it with our next door neighbor. We're not willing to do something that's not logical. We're not willing to go and make ourselves vulnerable to someone else. If we can't be vulnerable to God through the scriptures, there's little chance that we're going to be really vulnerable to someone else. So when I think of the church today and our approach to scripture, sometimes it, it troubles me deeply. But then I remember that 
Remember, Doug, not everybody got a chance to go to seminary like you did. Remember, Doug, not everybody got to worship three or four times a week like you did. Remember, Doug, not everybody had their food provided for them while they had the opportunity to study Scripture like you did. And even for you, as hard-headed as you were, think how long I pounded on you before you began to loosen up. It's a process, Doug. It was a journey of seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Jesus needed every mile of it to explain those scriptures to those people. And then they had to come back and share it with the rest of the disciples. And in that community of faith, when Jesus and his presence had been apprehended and believed, that faith could grow and mature and blossom. People wonder, well, I don't need the church. I have Jesus. Well, if you think you have Jesus by yourself, the part of Jesus that you have is so small that you've missed the biblical message. You see, Christianity... It's about a community of faith. It's not about an individuality of faith. That's an American deal. The scriptures do not know anything about solitary Christianity. You can't receive the word of God and become God's child and not tell somebody about it, not do something with it, not seek out community. You say, now, preacher, you're talking about half of my relatives. I'm sorry. I'm talking about some of mine, too. I can't help that. I can't make them be willing to receive it. But I have to tell them. I have to let them know the church is not a, about some glorification of a building. It's not about raising somebody's budget to do something. It's about spreading the word of the Lord and learning the word of the Lord from one another because none of us are complete within ourselves. Even the Father is a trinity. Think about it. We've been given this book to treasure so when you have a chance to teach your children, your grandchildren the scriptures, for goodness sakes, take the time and the trouble and make your best effort acknowledging God's Holy Spirit with you to teach them what you can understand. You say, well, they won't learn on Revelation. We're trying, but I don't really understand it. You go to another book. Don't try to teach them what you don't understand. There's plenty there you do understand. Teach them what they need to hear. Teach them what they need to know. Teach them what you've experienced yourself because you see... When we receive these inspired scriptures with understanding and faith as God's word to us, it produces a faith response in others. It produces transformation in others as well as ourselves. It produces joy in us as well as in those others we're sharing it with. It compels us to be the church on fire. People worry about the church dying. I'm not concerned about churches dying. And I am not one bit concerned about the church dying. Because it's as long as there's one human being left standing who's on fire for Jesus, the church will be alive. And before that time ever expires, Jesus will return. But what I am concerned about are buildings filled with people who are church people who are not on fire. I've been concerned about that for nearly 40 years now, and I'm, I'm wearing down. So which one of y'all are going to take up the mantle? Which one of you are going to go to seminary and learn how to share the gospel? Which one of you are going to set aside everything else in your life and all the ambitions because you hear God calling you to learn his words so that you can teach others? Which one of you are going to take the trouble to explain the scriptures to your unbelieving friends? Which one of you are going to say, man, I should have done that so many years ago. All right? What are you going to do tomorrow? Which core group are you a part of? Which Sunday school group are you leading? Do you need a fire hose? 
And if not, why not? You should be burning up with Jesus. Think about how many times you've been in church. <laughs> American Christians, we're so full of church. We're so full of books about Jesus. It's amazing that we don't set the whole world of physically aflame. But we do not. And those churches, individual as they are, even as in a community, they can die. Because the only thing that keeps the church open is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The only one that makes the scriptures intelligible is when God teaches them to us through other men and women who have learned the scriptures themselves. But even when the learned people speak, it's the fire you catch. It's a professor crawling around on the floor in seminary, wiping our feet with a towel to explain John 13 to us. It's a person who comes to your door from across the street and asks you if you know Jesus. And you think, well, man, you got a lot of courage asking me that. When you should be thinking, praise God, somebody cares enough about me to ask me. It's a Christian who shares the story with someone who's never heard it or who's never understood it. That's the church that's going to live forever. You say, what would you ask, Doug? What are you asking us to do? I'm asking you to open up your heads and your hearts and fan the flame that's in there. asking you to let God go ahead and light a torch in your soul. That's all I'm suggesting. You say, well, that's a lot, preacher. You're asking really too much. That's your job. <laughs> yeah, it is. But it's more than a one-man job or a one-woman job or a one-church job. It takes us all. Together, we can make a difference. Together, we can teach one another. And together, we can make sure that this part of the world continues to burn with the power of the scriptures that are growing inside us. willing, God bless you. If you're not, God bless you. Maybe I'll get reach you next week. Because God is certainly knocking on your door. Let's pray. Gracious God, if there's someone here today who feels Jesus knocking on the door, give them the courage just to open the door. Let the presence of Christ in their life help them to be willing to read those stories again and again and to every time ask for the Spirit's guidance and teaching. And then in a community of faith where they can break bread together, let them teach one another so that Jesus might be lifted up. If there's just one, Lord, here this morning, let that one respond. If there's one who's trying to go it alone, let them respond. 
for there's room in this place and it's not here in other places where the body of Christ gathers as a community. And each of us needs community. Bless the young lady, Lord, who needs your help so desperately. Bless those who reach out to her that she might be made whole again. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.